This is Faster Forward from Northern Trust Asset Servicing, where we explore stories, insights, and lessons learned from leaders and innovators that are driving transformation across their industries. This is Faster Forward from Northern Trust Asset Servicing. In this podcast, we explore stories, insights, and lessons learned from leaders and innovators who are driving transformation across their industries. I'm Patrice Sikora. With me is Carl Tannenbaum, Chief Economist at Northern Trust. Carl will share insights into the current trends impacting our global economy. He will also discuss the role data and data analytics play in preparing global economic forecasts given factors like inflation, and explain how he is helping his organization move faster forward through the power of data. Well, Patrice, it's a pleasure to join you. Um, I have been at Northern Trust for the last 10 years as chief economist. I also do some strategy work and workforce work and climate risk work for the bank, whatever happens to come across the desk. But to prepare for that, uh, those responsibilities, I began my career with about 25 years at another bank, LaSalle AB and Amaro, a global organization that at the end was $1 trillion in size across 60 countries. I then worked for four years for the Federal Reserve System from 2008 through 2012. Many of my partners at Northern Trust think that I caused the financial crisis. Uh, I correct them by offering that we were doing everything that we could to uh, fix the financial crisis. I spent time in New York and Washington, copious amounts during the worst of those days. I was involved with the stress testing program that was part of the effort to put banks back on their feet and so support the economy. And at the end, I was uh, posted to Washington, working directly with the Board of Governors, looking out for risks in the financial system, which is something that I still do at Northern Trust. It is a very interesting and varied portfolio. One never knows what uh, each day will bring. And I think that that's one of the reasons why I still enjoy the work after such a long period of time. Your time at the Fed must have been quite the crucible for you. Well, I hadn't pulled an all-nighter since college, um, but I was sent to the New York Fed the day that Lehman Brothers fell, if any of you remember that interval. Uh, great story, which I'll tell quickly, Patrice. So we had been monitoring conditions from the Chicago Federal Reserve Bank, and it was clear that Monday was going to be a messy day. At about 7 o'clock that morning, my phone rang. My counterpart in New York was asking if I could get out there to help with what was becoming a more chaotic situation. And I said, well, uh, let me just check in and I'll, I'll catch a flight in the afternoon. I'll be there first thing in the morning. He said, you don't understand. We've already reserved a seat for you on the 10 a.m. departure from O'Hare. Please go directly to the airport and route. Please send me your clothing sizes because we've made arrangements with a menswear store to get you a few days worth of duds. And I'm going to send you an address and you should have your your wife uh, send a whole bunch of your clothes to this address in lower Manhattan. So Patrice, oh, can you my. imagine that call with your, your partner? I don't know whether I'm going to be home for dinner. Don't know when I'll be back home for dinner and please send all of my clothes to this address. And uh, Karen said, uh, who is she? I think uh, I would have too. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, she, she has an economics degree and is certainly very familiar with this. So I pointed her to CNBC and it was two and a half months before I saw her again. Oh, my goodness. I remember the day Lehman went down. Boy, I, I don't envy you that. But what you I saw... I had a happy ending, which is good. Yeah, yeah. Well, with that as the background, how would you describe the state of our, our global economy now? 
we've just been through a series of shocks that are larger than most that we've seen during my career. And of course, Patrice, the pandemic is the most significant. Mm -hmm. The shock of the pandemic, especially in the early months, sent the economy into its shortest, but also one of its deepest recessions. Here in the United States, we lost 22 million jobs in just a two-month period after the pandemic was declared, and it looked like we might go much further. But on the basis of that outlook, uh, governments around the world, including ours in the United States, began to appropriate sufficient monies, not just to help with the public health effort, but also to try and put a floor under the damage that was being done to economic agents. Because the in the early months, the only way of preventing the disease from taking over was to keep us apart. Businesses mm -hmm. that depended on congregation were the ones that were most at risk, uh, restaurants, uh, travel industry, entertainment. And so there were monies appropriated to try and tide those businesses and the people who worked there through. Make a long story short, those efforts ended up being more than successful. By the time that the vaccination became more common and then through uh, 2021, we had very strong economic growth, very strong economic growth. And unfortunately, that came with inflation, uh, which we are still dealing with today. And I know we'll talk about during the course of our conversation. In order to try and get inflation under control, there's a real need to try and uh, get uh, the economy a little cooler and to that end, governments have stepped back and central banks have stepped forward to try and cool demand in a way that takes the pressure off of prices. That effort is only partly complete. And as a result, we actually had our national income or GDP, which is just the value of all the goods and services that we make in the United States. It actually declined during the first half of the year. As we approach year end though, the second half has been much better. Holiday shopping seems to be robust. But it looks like we're just going to be on that thin line between a very slow 2023 and perhaps a slight recession next year. And that uncertainty is one of the things that uh, has driven a lot of market volatility and also uh, quite a few days here this year where the markets haven't been entirely happy with the way things are going. You mentioned inflation, and that is definitely foremost on a lot of people's minds these days. Talk a little bit more about that, please. Well, inflation is the degree to which prices escalate over time. And that simple definition belies the complexity of defining inflation. And Patrice, if you wouldn't mind, I'm going to kind of go back a little bit to economics 101. Because many of our listeners will you know, see the inflation numbers or hear about them and won't appreciate some of the nuances that go into their production, which are very important to interpreting them and acting on them. So inflation for some products, and by the way, there's a broad range of products and services that are gauged when inflation is measured. For some, you can imagine that it's reasonably straightforward. We still have shoppers, by the way, from the Bureau of Labor Statistics, which measures the consumer <laughs> price index that go into supermarkets and find out what prices are on produce and other things. Um, it's interesting that they still do that when so many things are observable now online, and we'll get that to that in a moment. So that uh, forms a, a part of the collection. Uh, then they take surveys of other economic actors to find out how their prices are moving. There are categories of things that we buy, Patrice, where it's a little more difficult to measure the price. And uh, we'll take uh, televisions as an example. Now, I know we don't buy televisions all that often, but 
you have to adjust for the features in the television because the t TV that we buy today is certainly far more sophisticated than the one we would have bought 10 years ago. Not it's, it's bigger, it's lower cost, but it also has smart features and the like. And the statisticians measuring inflation try and adjust for that. And then for service prices, I often use my own example uh, in the financial services industry. What is the price of a financial service? And there also you have to get some price benchmarks, understand what is involved, let's say, in a personal financial uh, planning relationship. And so the reason I bring all of this up is that it is terribly difficult to define prices, and therefore it's very difficult to define inflation. And the movement of just one assumption can have an outsized impact on the inflation rate. And so I think it's very important. I have always told my clients, uh, please take the inflation numbers with a grain of salt. Don't overreact to a single month of uh, data because uh, usually they're revised and corrected. And so we need to look at things over time. And I have applauded efforts that have been advancing over the last five years to take some of the guesswork out of inflation and use uh, more objective sources. And here there's a project called the Billion Price Project where economists are now scraping the internet to get price data that I think is almost as good and in some cases better as the stuff that's being produced by the Bureau of Labor Statistics. And so as an economist, I look at all of those sources and try and take a look at the various measures and find truth somewhere in between those uh, points on the perimeter of the polygon. Well, you mentioned COVID a little bit earlier, too. And as we're talking about inflation, what factors, along with COVID, do you think have played the biggest role in the rate today? There are a few big things. First, anything that is acquired through global supply chains has been in short supply and has cost a lot more than it used to. Uh, the COVID outbreak in China in particular, and they are still pursuing uh, something of a zero COVID policy, has challenged factory production, logistics and shipping. Uh, the shipping costs to get one of those standard 40 foot containers across the Pacific Ocean to the port of Long Beach went up by eight times uh, at the peak of the disruptions. Happily today, uh, those uh, shipping costs have come down. And while COVID is still challenging China and to a lesser degree other countries, the availability of products through those chains has improved to the point where early reports from the holiday season are of excesses of inventory for some products, which are resulting in the kind of discounting that helps with inflation. Secondly, the pandemic response, as I noted a little earlier, created another housing boomlet. We had very low interest rates engineered by the Federal Reserve. We had stimulus checks going out to households. And that led to a real surge in housing demand. Some of our listeners may have been involved in real estate transactions that were frenzied. Bidding wars were not uncommon. And at the peak a few months ago, the American house price index had increased by 20% over the past 12 months more than it had prior to the global financial crisis of 2008 when real estate was at the center. Now that interest rates have gone back up, however, house prices have started to fall. And the cost of our shelter, whether it's rent that we pay to a landlord, uh, mortgage payments to, to banks, or the rent that homeowners implicitly pay to themselves for living in the residence, we're going to begin seeing those costs 
turnaround and come down in 2023, which represents some relief from inflation. Energy prices in the middle of 2022 were uh, deeply affected by a separate shock, which is the one introduced when Russia invaded Ukraine. World energy markets uh, were roiled and to some degree are still unsteady because of the supplies that had come from Russia of oil and natural gas, which are now constrained either by choice or by sanction. The uh, energy costs, however, have come down substantially since mid-year, 50% lower for both crude oil and natural gas, and that is accruing to the benefit of households and freeing up some consumer spending. And then finally, the shock that the pandemic introduced on our labor force is one that we're still sorting through. Unfortunately, BLS estimates that uh, somewhere between 250,000 and 300,000 working women and men were lost to the disease. Somewhere between 2 million and 4 million are still dealing with the consequences of long COVID. Caregiving is still not where it should be uh, and wasn't in the greatest shape prior to the pandemic. So more working parents and children of elderly relatives are providing care firsthand, which is limiting their ability to work. And we had to close the borders to safeguard the public health, which deprived us of immigration flows that are essential to some industries. And so the other shock of the pandemic is the, in labor supply, which is still uh, a shadow, not a shadow, but it's still nowhere near it was prior to the pandemic. That's led uh, wages up, the cost of the services that we buy uh, up. And as a result, that is a lingering and still uncertain element of the inflation picture. Uh, that we're going to be monitoring very closely. With so many factors here, critics would say policymakers should have seen inflation coming. What's your thought? It's a fair criticism. And Patrice, I'll share that I I recently had my annual performance review with, with my boss. And as it's been for many years, part of that conversation is a comparison of what we thought uh, economic variables would do and what they actually did. In 2021, we actually won a forecasting award in the industry that we were very pleased with. Uh, How can I say this? Uh, There will not be a repeat performance (laughs) this year. Uh, And actually, I I think this could end up being uh, the last public appearance that I have on behalf of Northern Trust, given uh, the performance appraisal. But obviously, it's a frustrating and I won't say embarrassing because, you know, these things happen to us. But we have all of us who look at inflation, including central banks, have challenged ourselves as to why we didn't see this coming. And I would say that there are uh, several reasons. One, prior to the pandemic, it's hard to remember, inflation was stubbornly low. Central banks were trying to get inflation up to its target of 2%. And we had secular factors like globalization, like e-commerce, which makes us better consumers, like the technology that was allowing production of things, goods and services for cheaper, that were pushing down on the price level at the same time that central banks might have been trying to get it up. And so our anchoring was very low inflation for the decade prior to the pandemic. And then as early evidence came in, again, this is one of those behavioral quirks that is embedded in all of us. We began to, I suppose, exercise confirmation bias. We tended to place more weight, Patrice, on incoming news that made us feel that inflation was still under good control. And we discounted the reports that it might be getting out of hand. And so month after month, as the price level kept going up, it took a while for us to recognize that this was not a 
fleeting or in the Fed's words, transitory problem, that it was spreading from a handful of products to a broad range of goods and services, and that this was not going to go away on its own, but rather required policy remedy. Having been chastened by that miscalculation, I know that central banks and central bankers around the world are anxious not to be remembered as the crowd that let the inflation genie back out of the bottle. Experiences with high levels of inflation for prolonged periods of time are very, very damaging to countries and their markets. And so the current uh, crowd is going to try and restore order as rapidly as they possibly can. How do you see inflation evolving in the coming year? And what will the central banks or what could the central banks do? Well, uh, I, I know I'm going to put myself at risk in saying this because we've said it many times in the last 18 months, but we think inflation has peaked. We also think that inflation will come down perhaps a little bit more rapidly uh, than others do. We think that inflation, which is currently in the United States on a year-over-year -year basis, still above 7%. We think that will be 3% as we move to the end of 2023. And that is just a little bit of a small distance from the Fed's target of 2%. And so um, hopefully we'll be smiling at each other about inflation a little bit more 12 months from now. Let me uh, step back, Patrice, and describe a little bit about how we try and forecast inflation um, and it involves both qualitative and quantitative methods. Like most economics departments, we uh, have an economic model. In our case, it's one that we license, but the architecture of the model is such that we can steer it a little bit. It's not a black as much of a black box as others are. For those who don't know, macroeconomic modeling is incredibly complicated because there are are trade-offs and knock-on effects. And so there are usually thousands of equations that try and relate employment to inflation, to the level of economic activity, to the dollar, to trade, to interest rates. And I won't bore the group, uh, only to say that it is a useful guide, but we are not bound by the models. I think any of you that use models should know that the skill in, in applying them is sometimes knowing when to turn them off. And when we have paradigm changes, Patrice, such as the pandemic has introduced, I think it's almost a disservice to continue to rely on equations that were based on an old paradigm. And that's partly what has made the last uh, year or two uh, more challenging. I think those that, that think about forecasting, uh, whether it's macroeconomic or in their own businesses, have a healthy combination of analytics and intuition that goes into it. And so when we run the models, we take a hard look at the output and then we try and steer it based on what we're seeing. And that is informed by both a bottom-up and a top-down perspective. The bottom-up, I think I gave a hint of earlier uh, in our conversation by taking a look at the big components and trying to see how they move. Uh, again, across most of them, we're beginning to see prices either level off or come down, which makes me feel optimistic. From a top-down perspective, a couple of things are very important. Number one, the degree of inflation, everyone, is critically dependent on whether firms have the ability to price uh, to pass along increases in their costs to final consumers. During most of the pandemic uh, recovery, we've been so flush with cash that we have not been as price discriminating as we might have been in the past. 
and firms, large and small, have reported very little friction in passing along higher labor costs or shipping costs into the final prices that we all pay. But we reached a watershed uh, probably two or three months ago when the surveys began to indicate that renewed pushback on the part of households against higher prices. And now the surveys show uh, that it's retreating fairly quickly. And the frugality that was part of the disinflationary equation prior to the pandemic seems to be returning. That's encouraging for inflation. It may not be the best thing for profit margins, but if we can use our collective power as consumers to push back on price increases, they'll stay under better control. And then finally, there is a strong link between what central banks do and inflation. They control the amount of liquidity and money that's in the system. The more money, the more activity, the more demand, the more pressure on prices. I hope that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Now that central banks are cutting back and the amount of liquidity and money in the system in the United States actually is shrinking. And I think that's the first time in at least 60 years that that's happened. That also factors into our thinking that the governors are infl- on inflation should be reasserting themselves. And then that gives us a little bit of confidence that we'll be correct this time in anticipating that inflation should be getting under better control. And how would you suggest that our listeners put the inflation numbers into perspective? I hinted at, at some of this, Patrice, but let me give you the user's guide. There are a multitude of inflation measures. We have consumer prices. We have producer prices. We have uh, variants of them that exclude volatile food and energy components. We have sticky indices. We have... Uh, mean reverting indices. I mean, it's a blizzard. And then you get some of the alternative price indicators that I talked about earlier. I think synthesizing all of them and recognizing their strengths and weaknesses is important. So I hate to say, here's the one number that you can hang your hat on that's the most important. I do think we all have to look at a variety of things. And then I also think, again, using those in time series as opposed to over relying on a single indicator So the most recent news that we have gotten on the American Consumer Price Index was favorable and cheered by the markets almost to too large of an extent. We'll need to see several more months of confirmation before we firmly feel that inflation is back under control. And so as anxious, I think, as we are to embrace that outcome, I would just encourage caution and perspective as we use the inflation numbers that we're going to be uh, receiving in the coming months. So hopefully... A lower inflation environment will be good for market performance. It will come without much cost in terms of recession or additional unemployment. And the hope is, uh, Patrice, that um, low inflation has been so powerful and productive for economies around the world over the last generation. It's meant more innovation, more business formation, more employment, better market performance than a lot of other positive outcomes. If we can get it back under control, then hopefully uh, the challenge of the next 12 months will be small price to pay for a renewed prosperity that will last for much longer than that. Carl, thank you for your insights on data's role projecting inflation and the impact that it has on the state of the global economy. And thank you for listening to Faster Forward from Northern Trust Asset Servicing. Thank you for listening to our podcast. 
subscribe to Faster Forward from your favorite podcast app to be automatically notified of new episodes. This audio podcast is being provided for informational and educational purposes only and is not meant to be taken as investment advice or a recommendation of any specific investment product or strategy. The information does not take your financial situation, investment objective, or risk tolerance into consideration. Listeners, including professionals, should under no circumstances rely upon this information as a substitute for their own research or for obtaining specific legal, investment, accounting, or tax advice from their own counsel. Northern Trust Corporation, head office 50 South LaSalle Street, Chicago, Illinois, 60603. USA Incorporated with limited liability in the U.S. 